0: Hey y'all, welcome to the A-Ray and J-Ray Today Show. This is J-Ray, and I hope you enjoy this listen.
1: Hey y'all, it's A-Ray the Kid, buncha buncha new dad. Welcome back to another episode of uh, A-Ray and J-Ray Today. To, to, to and then, uh, shout out to J-Ray. She is out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but in her place, we've been having the lovely uh, Jennifer Schaefer. Jennifer, do I, I how, do, how do you pronounce your last name? Schaefer or Schaffer? Schaefer, right?
0: It's Schaefer. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
1: Anyway, that's why I just call you Jen and Juice. So it doesn't matter what your last name is, because we got Jen and Juice back with us, and we're gonna pretty much uh, we're gonna pick up pick up where we left off last time. But Jen, how was your day?
0: Um, uh, my day was good. You know, I really am just loving my job and this podcast series. Um, it is, it is both. Um, Exhausting and very challenging to uh, be spending so much time with this topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and insanely rewarding.
1: Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you said that. You said exhausting and challenging. And I bet I just thought that's probably how my wife feels dealing with me. It's exhausting and challenging, <laughs> but it's rewarding because I'm a really <laughs> kid, you know? But anyway, anyway, but you know what? you uh, We've got so much response back. Um, from this and like, wow, especially last week, I, like I don't want people to think I like listen to myself because I cannot stand to go back and listen to my vocals. Um, even when we, you know, when we edit it and do all this stuff we have to do to make everything sound um, a little professional. I only listen to like a little bit of it and then that's it. Just enough to know like, OK, that sounds great. Um, but I went back and actually listened to this last week's episode when Love Hurts Part Two. Oh my golly gee Willikers! It was so good. Uh, trauma bonding, love bombing. Wow, Jennifer, you like the last the last two weeks? Has it been two weeks we've been doing this? Yeah,
0: this is week number
1: three. Yeah, week number three. It's just been so good, and I just man, people keep sharing, uh, keep uh, listening. Cause wow, it's only, and let me tell you guys something, it's only, it's only going to get better and better and better and better and better. And so real quick, uh, Jen, uh, let's do a review. If you don't mind, uh, walk us through, uh, real quick, what trauma bonding is.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so if you guys are just jumping in on this episode first, definitely recommend, um, hitting pause right here and going back. Um, and at least it, listening to episode two, right,
1: um, right, right.
0: To start from the beginning with trauma bonding, um, but I like I like to think of trauma bonding as a series of behaviors that people engage in in an attempt to meet an unmet attachment need. That's that often stems from their childhood, um, or they're looking to feel worthy, loved, special, or valued. Now, these patterns often result in toxic relationships where the needs of the partners continue to go unmet and the attachment wounds are left unhealed and oftentimes come out worse than they were at the start of their relationship. So when the stages of trauma bonding progress without interruption, toxic relationships easily turn into different forms of abuse. So whether that's mental, emotional, or physical, there is very rarely a positive outcome for a relationship that is
1: built through trauma bonding. Right. Got you. Got you. Wow. So good. You guys definitely got to go back and listen to last week. Um, go listen to the last two weeks, but last week, wow. Love bombing. That And love bombing is phase one. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you and we give you phase two. And that is trust and dependency. Uh, So, Jennifer, my my first question to you is, what does uh, the trust and dependency stage or phase look like? Actually, let me make it a two-fold question, if you will. What does it look like and what does it feel like?
0: Sure. So, the trust and dependency stage builds directly onto the love bombing stage. Once an initiator feels like they have successfully convinced their target of of their worthiness and their capability, um, they they begin to shape the target to rely almost exclusively on them for mental and emotional support. Um, in some more serious cases, uh, you may you may also see that an initiator can begin to exert financial dependency over the target, um, and that can be concerning. But more often than not, it's it's primarily focused on the mental and emotional support. So. Because this stage generally begins in what would still be considered the beginning stages of an intimate relationship and can really just feel like you've found a partner that's incredibly supportive, and you may not immediately be able to recognize that their actions are actually pulling you away from your primary support system. So in my own personal experience, a few things that immediately come to mind when I'm thinking of the trust and dependency stage these situations stem directly from the fact that my partner was always there. I talked about in, in the first episode, how, Um, he was successfully able to love bomb me because my, my love language. And as far as bonding with potential partners is being vulnerable with them. If you can be vulnerable with me, you have me hooked immediately. I love to have deep, meaningful, intentional conversations that are fruitful and productive. I love to share experiences. Um, and I love to just get to know my partner on a very intimate level. I don't like small talk. I don't love chit chat. Um, so he was really able to recognize that and capitalize on it. So looking back, I see that that some of the instances where I relied on him for mental and emotional support, it stemmed primarily just from the convenience of him being there. Mm-hmm. So he was always there. So a few a few situations I can think of is, um, gosh, one afternoon I got a phone call from my mom that um, my stepsister or my sister's stepdaughter um, had died by suicide. And my sister actually found her hanging uh, from the staircase in their house. Um, That was very upsetting for me, primarily because I wasn't there um, to to provide my sister with the love and support I knew she needed. Um, I just hated being so far away. And he was there to support me and comfort me through that. Um, I remember trying to navigate, uh, all of the details and logistics and make decisions about moving to the East coast for grad school. And, and he offered to help. He said, Hey, I'll drive you out there. I'll help you get all of your stuff and the dogs and, and I'll drive you out there. Um, I'll stay for a couple of weeks. I'll help you get settled in. So that's what he did. And he was, he was there. And I, I allowed myself to rely on him and depend on him. I remember, um, in the last few months that I lived in Wichita, I really was very sick. Um, I had some, some gastrointestinal problems, um, and I had, gosh, I had a colonoscopy, an endoscopy. I had all kinds of testing, and the doctors were a little bit concerned that I might have colon cancer. It ran in my family. It's genetic, so it was pretty scary, Um, and he was there. He went to all of my appointments with me. He drove me to my colonoscopy and endoscopy. He stayed there, um, during the procedures. He helped me, uh, through the recovery. Um, and he, he was just there. He was super supportive and, uh, everything I could have, could have asked for. And then, you know, just any time that I needed support or I found myself brainstorming and, and trying to figure out how to solve this problem, or I felt like something was happening in my life and I needed to vent, um, He was there and slowly, but surely what ended up happening is that his solutions for problems started to be my solutions Mm -hmm. and his ideas of what I should or should not do started, started to echo a little bit louder in my head than my own thoughts and my own opinions. Um, So I sat very subtly, but very quickly, my thoughts became his thoughts, what I would normally think of ways to solve a problem. I found myself trying to think of ways that would satisfy his needs. Um, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does make sense. Um, Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it does make sense. And as you were talking, I remember one um, instance we were at work. It was actually your first uh, weekend at the job we were working at. Oh, yeah, if you guys didn't know, here's a little fun fact. Uh, Me and Jennifer worked together for, what, about a year? Yeah, um, yeah, and shout out to John. What up, John? <laughs> My man. Um, so Jennifer's first weekend, I remember being uh, John was actually on what he just got married, right? Yeah, he had got married, so dude wasn't even in, in America, he was like in Iceland or something like that. Well, actually, he was at his wedding that day. So, I as you were like, you said, like, one of the things you were saying was that you know, he was always there, you, you know, even at your hospital and doctor appointments. I remember when the car was wrecked. Um I I just remember as you were talking I'm like, "Yo, old boy was there through that whole situation." So the situation, let me tell you guys real quick. The situation was someone stole our work car, our brand new work car at that, and like destroyed it. Like it's so much to that story. Um yeah. And it was it was crazy. So as you were as as i remember the situation like he was there the whole time and just like wow i, I like so that right there kind of like really it made everything else you said like really come alive for me if that makes sense um so let me ask you this question let me ask you this question what is the motivation behind the trust and dependency stage yeah and um. And hold up! I'm so sorry, Jen. Don't don't kill me. Don't kill me. And You're good. Like, and maybe I'm throwing too much at you, but why does someone engage in like? Why does someone do this? Like to what what? Like, how does this even happen? Like, yeah. What what's the motivation behind this?
0: Sure, sure. Okay, so first and foremost, you have to understand that the trust and dependency stage is it, it's a necessary complement, if you will, to the love bombing stage. In order to complete the bait phase, um, an initiator has to love bomb and they have to engage and in, in transition their target to trusting and depending on them. So at this point in trauma bonding, the initiator builds up their own abilities to make the target feel as if the initiator is indispensable and irreplaceable. So the goal is for the target to believe that they cannot, saying they can't live without the initiator feels a little bit strong, but that's that's what the end goal is. The initiator wants the target to be able to feel like they can rely exclusively on them to meet all of their needs. So for the initiator, this all goes back to the desire to be loved their need to feel worthy and valuable and needed. And it's an attempt to ensure that this new connection will fill the void that they're seeking to fill and heal the attachment wound that they experienced at a younger age. But again here, I think it's really important to point out that I do not believe that in most cases, this is done maliciously or even knowingly on the initiator's part. If you listened to the first podcast episode, you might remember that we talked about how only 0.9% of the population in the United States would even qualify for a narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis. And that's because although abusive behavior in, in these dynamics, especially trauma bonding, Um, They may mimic that of narcissistic abuse, uh, but in order for it to actually be narcissistic abuse, the abuser has to be aware of what they're doing and lack the empathy to care about the impact that their actions and behaviors have on their partner. So in cases like mine and many others that I've witnessed, I truly believe that the initiator engages in these patterns because they believe that they are capable of fulfilling the role that they're creating, of being the person that they are presenting themselves to be. They believe that when this relationship is successful, they will have met that previously neglected attachment wound and and they have met the need that they're looking to fill.
1: Right. Gotcha. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, and maybe not all of it, and please correct me, like definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like the superman syndrome. Like I have like there's a problem in this relationship or in this person's life, so I got to, you know, take off the glasses, break open the shirt, put the S on my chest, and I have to save this person in every area of their life that they're struggling with. Is this is this similar to that?
0: Yes, and I absolutely love that you brought up that analogy because the dynamic that exists in trauma bonding is incredibly unique because it starts with the Superman syndrome from the initiator being the Superman, right? And eventually you get to a point in the relationship where the target becomes the Superman. And we'll get into that later, but I love that we can introduce it at this stage because that starts to explain and help people to understand why the target would stay in an abusive relationship for so long. Because eventually we get to a point in the relationship where we feel like, one, the initiator has already sacrificed so much for us. They've already done so much for us. They are so capable of making us feel loved. And they, they're so reliable and trustworthy and dependable. And we can count on them. Surely they can count on us too. Surely this person can count on me to love them long enough to heal.
1: Wow. So, so I guess we're going to talk more about this later on in a different episode, right? But I just have to say, so I'm going to say this and then we can move on. So eventually Superman trying to save Lois and then Lois ends up becoming Superwoman. But then she's really trying to save Lex Luthor now. Yeah. Oh yeah, we I can't wait till we get to that. Yeah. That that's yeah. going to be crazy. So, so all right, so what are the consequences, Jen? Jen and Juice, what are the consequences of the trust and dependency stage for the abuser and the abused?
0: Okay. So, I know in the beginning of this episode I said that this um, you know, sitting with this this work and these experiences is very challenging and and this was one of the more challenging areas to sit with because on the surface, it might seem like the consequences of the trust and dependency stage are minor. Um, But when you really look at it, you start to recognize that it is at this point in the relationship that the target begins to withdraw from close family and friends. And at this point in the relationship development, both the target, their family and friends all believe that the target is actively making that choice, that they are choosing to withdraw from their family and friends um, because, you know, they're part of a new and and budding, exciting relationship um, and, and they're hopeful that that behavior will fade and that those rela- those friendships and connections will be able to re-engage at a later point in that intimate relationship. Um, and the reality is it just feels good to have a partner that promises their love and support. And it feels good to have a partner that's always there and available to, to help you solve a problem or support you through a scary medical situation. And it just feels good to have someone to lean on. So it, on the surface, it just feels like there's not really any consequences of this stage. Um, but unfortunately, by the time anyone recognizes how it's this pattern right here that differs from the development of a healthy relationship, a great deal of damage will likely already be done. Um, because actually, the decision to withdraw from those outside relationships, friendships, family communication was not entirely conscious on the part of the target. Um, it, it was suggested, um, likely very subtly by the initiator. Um, and the target agreed to it. And that might just, that might just look like because the initiator is always there, then the, the target doesn't have to rely on their friends and family. The convenience of having their partner there makes it that much easier. Um, the consequences for the initiator, I've really, really had to dig deep to understand what the consequences of this stage might be for the initiator and how success at this stage ultimately leads to the beginning of the end. Um this stage in in trauma bonding is likely the last time that the target and the initiator will experience those, those highs that we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, this is the last stage of trauma bonding um, before the relationship starts to unravel. And that sounds kind of alarming because this is only the second stage of trauma bonding. Um, so in order to really understand this dynamic and be able to digest what happens internally for both the initiator and the target, I was actually inspired uh, by the childhood book, The Giving Tree. So in The Giving Tree, the tree believes that it is capable of meeting every need the little boy has and fails to acknowledge, admit, or communicate its own needs. In an effort to express love, uh, the tree does whatever it can do to meet the little boy's needs. It saws away at its own existence um, to provide for the little boy. And because the giving tree has expressed that it's capable of meeting his needs and willing to meet his needs and actually enjoys meeting his needs, the little boy never even second guesses turning to the giving tree for support. But unlike the giving tree, eventually the initiator's promises of sacrifice and support and providing and striving to fill the persona that he or she has created. um, the initiator eventually realizes that it's unsustainable that he cannot or she cannot continue to give and provide and sacrifice for this new partner in the way that they have established, they are capable of doing so that they realize that they have overcommitted and they begin to grow bitter and resentful because Over the course of the love bombing and trust and dependency stage, the emotional needs of the initiator have been completely neglected. They have been so focused on meeting the needs of their new partner and and of appearing to be needless um, in in order to appear like they have more ability to meet the needs of their new partner. They've completely neglected their own mental and emotional needs.
1: Wow. Wow wow so they they pretty much they can't live up to their own hype exactly wow yep. wow and so they have yeah they have a breakdown wow this is this is good stuff jen this is good stuff so wow like people i'm saying wow because like if you're really listening to um what jennifer is saying like you can probably either recognize like man i've been this person before or this has been this is happening to me right now or um, I've had this happen to me in the past, and so like it's just, it's really mind blowing. So it's so crazy. So
0: just and, like and, and this is this is why I'm trying to take the perspective of of understanding why the initiator engages in these patterns because we like to think of these abusive patterns as as something that we can't relate to. Right. Mm. We convince ourselves that, you know, these things and it is very possible that we would never engage in abusive behavior. That's possible. But what we need to look at is the patterns that lead to abusive behavior, because we have all been guilty of being abusive to a partner, regardless of whether or not we're aware of that. And it's because of patterns like this that we are guilty of that.
1: Right. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, because, I mean, we all we've all played some part of the bad guy you know what i'm saying like as much as people don't want to admit that they're the villain of a story or even if it was just a couple chapters you've been the villain before and and you know it's okay to recognize you've been the villain because that means you're you you can you have the ability to change if you can recognize it you can change you know what i mean absolutely absolutely the problem is like when people recognize it and refuse to change and, you know, it just that's when love continues to hurt. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, speaking of recognizing, that actually leads me to my next question. How can we recognize behaviors aimed at creating trust and dependency?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think this is a perfectly timed question because I'm about to explain this and I have a feeling a lot of people listening are going to say, oh, I have been guilty of some of that. Um, because... The first thing that comes to mind when I think about the trust and dependency stage, like I said, is the isolation. So in order to recognize that the initiator is in any level attempting to isolate their target, you have to pay attention to your partner's response when you turn to and rely on other trusted individuals in your life. It feels natural and comfortable to want to and to be able to turn to your partner when something happens in life, but what happens when you don't? Or when your partner isn't the first person you turn to, what happens then? Does your partner appear offended? Do they get defensive? Do they demand answers and explanations for why you didn't talk to them or or not talk to them first? Um, And that is the key between distinguishing the development of a healthy relationship And a stage in trauma bonding. So, um, you know, there absolutely are going to be situations where you should be turning to your partner first. Um, There should be information that you share with your partner first. And there should also be a level of respect and understanding that when you don't turn to them first and instead turn to other friendships and family members that have been in your support system for significantly longer, there's an understanding as to why that's happening and and a respect and a trust. Um, Because keep in mind, we're not talking about a long-term or established partnership at this point. We're talking about a relationship that is likely still within the first six months of forming and that is very very soon to expect to rely primarily on your partner let alone exclusively on your partner
1: yeah man see i wow see i'm thinking like we've been together for a minute but this is the big like What? what'd you say six months to what
0: probably the first six months to a year
1: that's that, a new that rel- tra- to me that's an a relationship is old to me around the third year, fourth year, six months to a year. That's I'm not even. Since this is the A Ray and J Ray podcast show, I'm not even farting around you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, even, <laughs> I'm not even burping around you. You know what I mean? Like I'm still like waiting till you leave the room to to take a number two. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever I have to do. Like I'm still shy. So yeah. so all this is happening, like this soon and wow, this yeah. is. Yo, this is good stuff, man. This is good stuff. So, so Jen, we need boundaries. We we talked about boundaries last week and someone actually pointed out, I think I can't hear, I don't even want to say anyone's name cuz I can't remember who said it. Um, but someone pointed out uh that last week when we touched on boundaries, the the they they said to me that they never thought about having boundaries in a relationship. Which blew my mind cuz like I I got boundaries, like in in my relationships, uh, with everyone. Like, there's just some stuff some people can't ask me. There's mm-hmm. just some stuff people we we oh, you can't talk to. Me. We I'm not talking to you about this. Like, who are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, you probably mean well, but we're not there. So, like, to not even have it in the relationship, or not even think it was just mind <laughs> mind blowing. So, what are some boundaries that might help protect us from um, trust, and dependency?
0: So first I want to take a second to validate whoever, you know, pointed out that they'd never even thought about having boundaries in a relationship. Um, that is so ingrained in our culture to share everything, to completely merge Mm -hmm. with your romantic partner, right? It is so ingrained that two must become one. Um, so that's what we do. We, we tend to be less boundaried with our romantic partners. I have had, I cannot even count the number of people t- tell me that they are surprised when they find out that I struggle with boundaries in intimate relationships because I am so boundaryed in my friendships, in my family relationships, in my professional relationships. I'm very boundaried. I have a, a whole set of rules that I don't break in those Contexts and in those relationships and when it comes to intimate relationships i am the exact opposite i have a very hard time with
1: boundaries wow i would have never guessed coming from jennifer right yeah yeah wow wow okay i'm sorry keep going you're good
0: you're good so back back to boundaries um that might help us uh at at the trust and dependency stage of trauma bonding um I feel like I have to bring up the reality that we are now on stage two, right? And we've already talked about stage one. So, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna revisit the boundaries that we set in stage one. So, hypothetically, if you are still enforcing those boundaries and you feel free and safe to spend your time as you please um, and to communicate with who you please uh, and, and to continue engaging in loving and healthy relationships outside of your intimate relationship, um, then we're probably not talking about a relationship that's following the trauma bonding path, right? But if you start to notice that you've had a hard time maintaining the boundaries that we set in stage one, or or you've noticed that you've been maybe a little bit too flexible with those boundaries, and you're starting to feel like you can no longer establish boundaries or enforce previously set boundaries, then we might be talking about trauma bonding. And um, we really... Need to talk about reestablishing boundaries from stage one, you know, make that attempt. Um, and then, if that's still not su- successful, I have to encourage you to reevaluate your be- well being inside of the relationship and whether or not that that's something that you want to continue. Okay, so, so step one in setting boundaries is revisiting boundaries you have already attempted to set if those boundaries are not being respected, you're going to run into problems, okay? That's the first red flag that most people ignore, is that their boundaries are not being respected. But um, let's focus on the possibility that you have established boundaries to protect you from love bombing. So stage one of trauma bonding is love bombing. Um, But you're worried you may still be susceptible to the trust and dependency stage, right? So a boundary for this stage, I think a really solid boundary would sound something like, hey, I've always turned to my mom when life is feeling a little bit too much. Um, I, I respect that you have a desire to feel included and informed, but it's really important to me to maintain the relationship I have with my mom so that's what I'm going to continue to do, and I would appreciate it if you would respect that. Now, if it feels good at this point, you could offer a compromise by saying something like, if you would like, you and I can talk after I've talked with my mom so that you feel included. And And I say that because boundaries, some people think of boundaries, boundaries as being rigid cement walls, right? but it's helpful to think of the reality that you have a need that will be protected by this boundary and your partner also has a need. So there has to be a little bit of give and compromise where there's room in boundary setting. So if it is comfortable for you to say, hey, we can debrief after I've talked with my mom so that you feel like you're informed and you're in the loop on what's going on in my personal life, that is a compromise that I think is reasonable and it feels good to me. So that's what I can offer you in in response to your request that I communicate exclusively with you. Um, Now the really hard part of boundary setting is consequences because you have to remember that any good boundary has to be accompanied by consequences that you are willing and able to follow through with. And those, those consequences should accurately reflect the importance of the boundary. So if we're talking about a situation where your partner is challenging your right to communicate about your personal life with people outside of the relationship, an appropriate consequence to that would be to reevaluate the relationship and whether or not it's something you'd like to continue if your boundary is not respected.
1: Wow, yeah, most definitely. That's good stuff, man. That That is, wow, wow, man, I'm taking notes. I'm taking mental notes right now. Man, this is good stuff, man. So my thing is now, how do you... And let's let's uh let's wrap it up on this question. Um, how do you enforce bound? Because that would be my thing, trying to enforce everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, how would how would one go about enforcing boundaries?
0: It's so hard. Boundaries yeah. are so so hard. Um, because especially in the context of a relationship with someone that you really care about, you want to be able to give them what they need and what they want, right? Um, but oftentimes what that ends up doing is that it costs you your needs and your wants. So one, one way that I see um, someone being able to enforce boundaries at this stage or at least hold themselves accountable at this stage is um, reflecting on the reality that, like I said earlier, the trust independency stage is an attempt to isolate the target from their friends and family so that the initiator can gain primary influence and control in the target's life. The initiator is still very much trying to prove their value and ability to meet their partner's every need. So it is crucial at this stage specifically that if you are concerned that this is happening to you or a loved one, that you continue to maintain appropriate communication with trusted individuals outside of the relationship, and monitor your partner's response to that. If there's ever any excessive pushback, <clears throat> or um, or maybe if continuing to engage in healthy friendships and communication with friends and family uh, outside of the intimate relationship, if that causes undue defensiveness in the initiator, I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that this is an indication that the initiator needs professional support in identifying healthy relationship skills, boundaries, and healthy communication patterns. And like I said in a previous episode, those things are not the responsibility of the partner. Those things are the responsibility of a mental health professional. And I cannot stress this enough. If you only are listening to To one portion of the podcast, please let it be this part. Because if the initiator is not willing to seek professional support, the target should not be under the illusion that they are responsible or even capable of inspiring that change within the initiator. If that is a step that the initiator is unwilling to make right now at this point in their relationship, they will not take that step. It's not going to happen in the context of this relationship. No one can inspire a person to take the necessary steps to grow and improve because that only happens when that person is ready and willing to take a hard look at themselves and make some improvements. And most importantly, no one is obligated to stand by someone and tolerate being mistreated in the name of love. While they wait for their partner to suddenly be inspired to heal and grow and be the person they promised they were from the beginning. If you are in a relationship where you are recognizing that the person that you thought you were in a relationship with is suddenly changing and is unwilling to do anything about it, you are not going to change that. That's a pattern that you are not going to interrupt unless you end the relationship. There is no problem for you to solve. You you cannot be the rescue in this situation. It's not going to happen.
1: Right. That's that's good stuff. Yo, so take off the little power ranger helmet. Put down the little superman cape or superwoman cape, wonder woman uh shield and and just please listen. Like I really love how you ended that because like a lot of people try to be licensed therapists and stuff like yo you didn't go to school for that man you don't know what you're doing man let somebody who knows what they're doing step in because truth is
0: i just i just want to interrupt with you yeah. and that i am a trained mental health oh,
1: professional. it forgot. is
0: still not my job in the context of my intimate relationship to be a mental health professional for my partner if it is not my job, yeah. it sure as hell is not anybody else's.
1: Hold on, say that one more time.
0: If it's not my job, it sure as hell is not anybody else's.
1: That's real. That's and that's coming from a y'all hear that? Y'all, that's coming from a professional that just said, Listen, if it ain't my job, I ain't doing it. You know what I'm saying? So y'all gotta stop because ultimately I feel like people will try to they you you'll kill yourself trying to trying to Give somebody else life support or give somebody else life, not even life support, but give someone else life. You You will
0: kill yourself or you will be killed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's,
0: that's, that's a reality. That is. Yeah. People sit around in these relationships and they just, they, they sit on hope waiting for their partner to change. Uh And it is a hard ass giant pill to swallow to recognize that that change is not coming.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, That yeah, that is that has to be tough to realize, especially if you you put work and you prayed about it and you prayed about it and you've been to that. You know, I was just I think it was me and you talking the other day. There's just some things you cannot pray away, you know, right. and and other people uh, actions and their choices and their decisions. That's between them and God, you know. Um, it's, now I'm not saying there's no power in prayer, but like that's a whole different podcast for another day. But there are some things in life, people, you cannot just pray away. Uh, you will, you will, you will learn the hard way that you know. It's it's some things just God has to do on His time, and it's not your job to try to play God either.
0: And since we went there, the reality is that God God gave us each free will. Right? So when you're talking about the dynamic of a relationship, God has given the initiator in this case, the ability to continue choosing to treat his partner or her partner poorly. He's given him that free will. He has given that person the ability to choose whether or not they are going to turn to God in prayer and support and ask for healing um, and, and growth and the ability to be a better person. And we are only human if God cannot inspire that change in that person. Why would you ever think that you could do it? But that's what we do. We sit around waiting and hoping and praying that we're going to be enough to inspire change in this person's heart. And it's just not going to happen. That's a fairy tale that doesn't exist. Yeah,
1: that's real. That's real. It's just not going to. It's a fairy tale that, oh my, man, gin and juice, man, you you come again with the fire, man. Wow. Wow. So ladies and gentlemen, listen, listen, next week, make sure you come back because we're going to pick this back up again. Phase three, criticism. And I can't, I'm, I'm really, I'm hype about this one Um, because yeah, criticism is one of those things, man, that we're going to, we have a lot to talk about next week. And I'm looking forward to hear you share more with us. Um, Shout out to J Ray. This is A Ray. Shout out to Jen and Juice. You guys know the vibes. Please make sure you push play. You share this with someone and you leave a review. If you don't want to leave a, I get it. If you don't want to leave a public review, then inbox Jennifer. Let her know, like you know, what 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 part meant the most to you. Inbox me and uh, let me know what meant the most to you. And for all those who do share this and who do play this, we thank you. Uh, we thank you a million times again and again. Um, Wow you guys are awesome Jennifer you're awesome and thank you so much again for coming on the show Ayo, hey, yo it's the kid it's a rat but you but you knew that.